Hello and welcome to another episode of Desert Rain Community Radio. Today, David and I jump back into the recovery conversation in and around uh, this idea of sponsorship. Uh, Secular world might refer to it as mentorship and Christian circles, we refer to it as discipleship. But before we get into that, thank you once again, Diego, at uh, Recording Moving Studios for your editing and sound engineering. Jacob at Monk Drums, M-O-N-K drums.com. That's what you hear in the background, in the intro and outro. Uh, If you want to read more of David's musings and thoughts, uh, check out theruin.com. You can find out more about Desert Rain Community there as well. If you want to hear previous episodes, drcrpod.com is where you can find that. If you are enjoying our uh, conversations and around all the different topics we've covered, please tell a friend and uh, we appreciate you and let's get into it. Uh, Welcome to another episode of Desert Rain Community Radio here with Mr. David Morrison. How are you doing today? Good afternoon, sir. Good spring afternoon. is here, first day of spring. It's nice and warm. Oh, today's technically the first day of spring. I believe so. Huh? Yeah. Yes, that's what my wife, Marsha, told me. Yeah, I think 3 a.m. was the official time my mom was telling me yesterday. Needless to say, I was asleep. 3 a.m., yeah. So uh, this is somewhat of a, an episode in and around uh, recovery um, in the sense of 12-step groups, in the sense of sobriety, Um, and we're going to focus on this idea within recovery of, uh, mentoring another person. The terminology that is used is called sponsorship. Uh, some people even sort of make a broader umbrella of, of service work. Um, but that can, service work can, can be, mean multiple things in the recovery world. So, um, Similar to the other episode about recovery, uh, we're going to have Mr. Morrison drive the bus, and I will be the talker this week. So, Mr. Morrison, where would you like to start with that idea of of sponsorship or mentorship? Yeah, so keep in mind, I don't come from the recovery world, so but I come from the, the Christian pastoral world, and so recovery, uh, I've heard Richard Rohr in Albuquerque say, uh, I don't know if people have heard of Richard Rohr or not. Uh, he's <laughs> they, not. If they've listened to all of our episodes, hint, hint, <laughs> they have. He's a vato from Albuquerque. <laughs> and uh, and I, I think I heard him say that, that uh, you know, recovery groups are communities that pastor themselves, mm. that heal themselves. And so that's very, you know, as a church planner in the past and as a, community, someone that lives in Christian community, that's a very powerful idea. And I think just, I mean, from my perspective, uh, someone that's trying to heal the people around them. Yeah. You're a healer in my eyes. Uh, Yeah. Aspiring. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Not very successful. (laughs) Maybe. maybe Uh, I don't know. But 
that that's kind of I see your role within within the community on a certain level. Yeah, sure. yeah, and, uh, yeah. As a as someone that's attempting to be a disciple of Jesus, mm-hmm. uh, you have to be committed to healing of all sorts, mm-hmm. and that's a that's a huge challenge. You know, not just preaching and teaching, mm-hmm. but uh, but healing, and that's a major part of the the ministry of the gospel. And so, mm-hmm. so to hear that about recovery is a is a very intriguing thing, and uh, and couple that with uh, like the gospel reading. I've been meditating on that for this for tomorrow is uh, uh, some Greeks, which means outsiders mm-hmm. of the Jewish community, come okay. up to. Uh, one of Jesus' disciples, and they say, sir, we'd like to see Jesus. And so I see that as the world is asking the church that, sir, we'd like to see Jesus. And all they're getting are are, uh, culture wars, uh, homophobia, Mm. um, xenophobia, white nationalism in a lot of of cases. They're not 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 getting the gospel. Yeah, but nevertheless, Jesus is still in the culture. In the greater culture, and and so, so I see uh, the recovery movement as being a huge part of that. And mm-hmm. so, would you like to elaborate on that? So, to kind of be, uh, just to make sure I follow, it's it's in and around this idea Richard Rohr threw out there of recovery groups are pastoring themselves and healing themselves, sort of mentality, right. We're all patients. None of us are doctors. Right. In the now, there are doctors, right? There's yeah. <laughs> PhDs and MDs that sit in the rooms of twelve-step groups. Right. But when we're in the room of twelve-step groups, we're all patients. We're all trying to lift each other up. And and um, granted, some people have been sober longer than other people, and um, you know. But also with that, it ebbs and flows how engaged someone is with the with the twelve steps and with the program. Of recovery, so I, I I would say that um, w- there is a saying in the program: some are sicker than others, and that and, and it's not really discernible, right? Like a guy with twenty years of sobriety can be yeah. in in a bad place and in a sick place, and and someone with thirty days of recovery can be flying high because they jumped they jumped right into the yeah. program and and are uh, literally spending every waking hour trying to implement these principles. So. Um, now, granted, in general, people with longer times of sobriety have seen more things. Uh, they have this wisdom within the program of of interact of a sober alcoholic trying to interact with the greater world. Um, you know, so so yeah, so I would say that we're we're definitely all patients. So we're all, and we're all. So you know, in in your question, we're all ministers, right. and we're all being ministered to. Um, and it's, it's, it's really weird, uh, weird in the sense of Western culture, mm-hmm. egalitarian setup. Um, I'm sure people have been into recovery groups and don't feel equal to maybe to those around them. Um, but in my experience, a lot of time that's our self, like for me, it would be my self doubt or my self talk mm-hmm. telling me that I'm not equal with these people. And some people will go in the meetings and think they're better. Right. Like someone will come in with 10 or 15 years and, you know, start talking down to people. And it's like, you know, everyone kind of side eyes each other. And like, sounds oh. like church. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so it's this imperfect. And I was I, I, I say this 
So I'm, I'm kind of going around your question. But the last thing I, I want to say before we, we, I pass it back over to you is I, I'm sure this isn't original by me. I'm sure I heard it from someone else. But this is the world's greatest pyramid scheme. Because you're, you're not going to get rich. Uh, you're not going to get um, fame and power. Uh, but you are going to get one of the most amazing lives that you could ever imagine. And then the responsibility, in my opinion, is to stick around to help the next schlub through mm-hmm. the door. Um, because of my, my, my current scumbaggery and my old drinking scumbaggery, I can relate with someone you know, that's either still drunk or detoxing in a different way than say a, a medical doctor could or a psychiatrist or, and, and that's, that, that's the real magic of, mm-hmm. um, the recovery program is any, any of the anonymous programs you go into, it's just, uh, the powers that we can relate to each other in a very short period of time. Cause I've read historically that the recovery movement was a threat to particularly the Protestant pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then ironically, I believe it was Phyllis Tickle who said, it, ironically, uh, most of these groups meet in the basements of the mainline <laughs> Protestant churches now. Well, any uh, church. We, I mean, yeah. my first meeting that I regularly went to was a, a Catholic church. We mm-hmm. met in the basement there. As long as there's a coffee pot, apparently. Mm-hmm. That's... Yeah, coffee pot and, and two, uh, two people, you know, whatever recovery group you're in, uh, and even, I mean, even just the example I gave, we didn't even have a coffee pot. It was a lunchtime meeting. Mm. And so we literally would have a handful of books. I Like on a good day, there was six or seven people there. Like that was a packed meeting. Uh, it was right on campus. It was at the Newman Center in, in uh, um, Tempe, Arizona on the campus of ASU. And uh, and a lot of times it was just, you know, it'd be, be me and one or two other people and Sometimes we would just sit there and shoot the breeze about recovery, you know, like we wouldn't necessarily go through the, uh, there's usually some kind of script that you read. So it's the meetings very similar every time. Well, it's interesting because in, in the Christian world, uh, you know, like a Catholic parish would call it religious formation. Okay. Or maybe adult religious formation or, mm-hmm. or even the, the rites of Christian initiation and then continuing formation after that. And then in the Protestant world, it'd probably be discipleship. Uh, you know, how do you become a disciple of Jesus? Mm, and so okay. it seems to me that, that recovery has the discipleship program, if you will, already embedded in it. A new way of living, a pattern of living, a rule of life. Um, and that's intriguing as well. Yeah, it's, it's well, it's interesting. I haven't thought about this a particular story in a while, but I, I think it fits well here. A good friend of mine, I'm stealing my friend's story. So Mr. Chris, if you're listening, please call me and correct me if I don't get the details right. But I think don't tell your lawyers. Remember. <laughs> yeah, we're not making any money. So we're not selling pillows. We're not selling gold here. Yet. Yet. <laughs> Survival uh, rations. Nothing. Uh, like that. So he went to Rome he went to the Vatican and, and uh, while he was there, he he sat, uh, I don't know if he formally sat with a priest in a confession booth or if he was just talking to a priest that happened to be there and they were going back and forth. And, and um, you know, one of the things the priest shared with him 
Chris talked about being, I don't know, fuck, we'll bleep out your last name, Chris. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> he talked about being in a recovery program and sort of the things he strives to do in the context of recovery. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the the father priest shrugged and said, well, yeah, that's, you're embodying Christianity. Mm-hmm. You're embodying the gospel, trying to be of service to others, um, prayer and meditation. Uh, so um, reviewing your day, being conscious of how you interact with the world throughout the day. And then if, you know, if you fall short going, if you need to go back to a, an individual and, or a group and make things right, you know. And so um, and just for a little bit of a history context, uh, the way the 12 step program sort of came to be was through a Christian group called the Oxford Group. And the Oxford group uh, would go around trying to save uh, drunks and uh, just any any sort of vice. You know, they would go in front of courts and take responsibility for people. Mm-hmm. And someone within this um, Oxford group had gone and talked to one of the founders who's credited. His, his name's Bill Wilson. And this gentleman named Ebby went to visit him in the context of the Oxford group. And it was basically the same thing as in 12-step work. You go and you share your experience with being in, uh, in this case, you know, in Ebby and Bill's case, being an alcoholic and saying, hey, I found, I found this higher power and, and these simple rules and I haven't drank. Well, Bill Wilson got so excited about it that he just wanted to focus on people that had drinking problems because that, that was his problem. And so he eventually met this guy named uh, Dr. Bob in uh, Akron, Ohio, I believe. It was in Ohio, and I'm pretty sure it was Akron specifically. And they meet through the context of this Oxford group, and they kind of made this branch group of people that just focused on trying to help problem drinkers. Hmm. Like that's all they wanted to work on. So eventually through all that, they they came up, they got to the point where I think the Oxford group had a six-step program. And I, I, I'm not going to even try to guess what, what it was, but it's very similar. Uh, they added some details when they sort of outlined the 12-step program. And so this idea of discipleship that you're that you're talking about, you know, basically for anyone that's not familiar with the 12 steps, you can obviously easily Google it, but the Cliff Notes version is step one. Uh, you realize you're powerless over something, and and whatever that is, whatever you can insert, whatever there, um, that powerlessness has has also made your life unmanageable. So All you right. can you can no longer navigate the world with whatever this this thing might be. Um, and it doesn't even have to be a vice per se. It can be, it, people go to programs for they're addicted to work and they can't stop working and they're, you yeah. know, working these outrageous hours every week. So that's step one: powerless, uh, recognizing powerlessness and unmanageability. Step two is that there's there's some kind of power out there uh, that could return us to sanity over whatever the thing might be. But even so, here's another important thing. Whatever the vice is, you only hear about that in the first step. Mm-hmm. My life is powerless over X and has made my life unmanageable. The, none of the other steps refer to X ever again because whatever X is, is just a symptom. Right. You can use food, uh, you know, whatever. And you can work. work yeah. 
drugs, religion, religion. People are addicted to religion for sure. Um, you know, and I might that might be shocking for people listening to yeah. this, but I, I've witnessed it, and I'm sure. Yeah, we. I used to personally yell, "You can never be more. You can never be radical enough for Jesus. You can never be fanatical. He's so worthy." Yeah, that's amazing. When that's that's a, young, a great. When I was a youngster, that's a great <laughs> quote for how reckless. Yeah, if someone really truly embodied that, we did for yeah, a while. Yeah, yeah. It's not sustainable over. No, decades. no, of course not. It's, it becomes <laughs> well, unmanageable. Well, when you're 18, it's definitely. <laughs> um, so then, step three, um, you know, came to believe in whatever this power is, and uh, basically, you hand your your will and your life over to this. Mm. And some people get worried and it's like, oh, I don't know if I can do that. And it's like, well, a lot of people take that piecemeal, you know, like mm-hmm. not a lot of people just jump in and be like, oh, yeah, this, you know, because most people coming to the program have some kind of either don't believe in a higher power or have some kind of like resentment or problem with it. So no one's going to just be like, yeah, let's let's trust whatever this thing is I can't see. Yeah. Right? Like, let's just dive into faith. And it's it, it typically doesn't work that way. Um so step well, four. Uh, let me let me ask yeah, you this yeah, though. Go ahead, what, go ahead. what about someone that is an atheist though? Are they not allowed to get sober? No, no. <laughs> Quite so so part of our literature, there's actually a chapter called To the Agnostic. Okay. And it's an entire chapter like, hey, you might not believe a lot of people have come down this path. And and um so the book was written in the 30s. So basically they'll say, like, oh, you'll eventually come to believe. In, in my perspective, I know people, I uh, knew a gentleman uh, in the Northeast. He would go to the Sunday morning group. He had been sober for 20 plus years, uh, cantankerous old Marine uh, veteran. Uh, and he would sh- straight out say, I don't believe in God. There is mm-hmm. no God. Okay. Um, but he had put his faith in the 12-step program as far as working the 12 steps. Uh, he was active and involved with the community and the fellowship of the 12-step program. Uh, and he was of service to other people around him, however that might look. And he, he seemed to be happy, like he seemed to be leading a happy life, you know. And, and, um, and I think that's the power of the 12 steps is you can, if you, maybe you don't believe in this thing called God or higher power. Yeah. Like maybe that's like too much for you. But if you could just trust in the the process that the 12 steps lays out and then at the end, so the 12 steps says having having an awakening, we go and practice this in our everyday life and we help others in need. Okay. And so you do the 12 steps and then if you can, in my, in my opinion, that's where this idea of sponsorship or mentorship really grounds in the spirituality is like now your job is to go – if we're talking about the gospel, heal right. others or just be of service to those around you. Um, and so I don't think you need to believe. Actually, I know you don't need to. You can be an atheist, an agnostic. You can even be indifferent towards this idea okay. of God. And you can stay sober and live um, an amazing life. You know, whatever that might be mean for the individual. And right. It's, it's not for me to say. Interesting. So how did you begin that process of helping others? 
serving so, others, being a healer. Yeah. So, so going through the 12 steps is sort of the first prerequisite. Mm. Uh, some people will try to <laughs> try to be of service or mentor people, but they haven't been through the 12 steps and it can kind of get into like a dangerous, wow. toxic thing. And That and, sounds um, very much like a Christian church. <laughs> As well, I won't. I won't <laughs> touch that one. <laughs> wow! But uh, I've seen some bad results when people try to do that. Mm. My own personal experience is: is um, I sat down with another man who he had twelve years sober, and he took me through the twelve steps. Okay. Uh, he was he was truly a mentor in the sense that he would tell me things I needed to do or I should do. But I couldn't argue with him because those those were the same things he was doing in his life. Hmm. So one of the one of the good examples, and I'll, I'll answer your question after this sort of side story, in the sense that he I, when I got to the twelve step program, I had this Jeep Wrangler that I was absolutely in love with, and he came up to me after a meeting one time. He's like, "Oh, is that your Jeep?" I was like, "Yeah, it's got a two inch lift kit, <laughs> and, you know, manual transmit." You know, I started explaining. It's he got did a Johnson rod. <laughs> It's got the biggest Johnson rod you ever saw. Uh, but that's not what he had. He, he didn't care. His next, he kind of interrupted me. He's like, well, I'm glad you have that because uh, from now on, I don't want you to, to see you pulling up to a meeting by yourself. Hmm. You should be giving rides to, because most people that show up to the program either don't have a car, Why? don't have a license, or if they have those two, they don't have insurance or registration. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so I, you know, I was one of the few with that had held on to those all of those things. And and then he just walked away. He didn't wait for a response. He didn't wait for me to, but I couldn't argue with him because anytime <laughs> I saw him pulling up, he had this old mom van, this old soccer mom van with the sliding doors. And every time he pulled up to a meeting, you'd hear that stupid, <laughs> you know, and, and people would file out of that, out of that van. And so what was I going to say? He had 12, you know, he hadn't used in 12 years and I, you know, I had barely, I didn't, you know, I didn't even have 12 weeks. Did they get out of the van like uh, the, <laughs> the abducted humans in close encounters of a third kind, <laughs> wondering where the hell they were? And exactly. Confused. And, and he, he's ushering them into this. Uh, <laughs> we, it was a, it was a strip mall and it was the last, you know, the last one on the, at the end of the street. And he's like ushering them in, <laughs> shooing them in and stuff. And uh, tying him to the chair. No, I'm just joking. But <laughs> so anyway, so he lived this life of, of service and of recovery and, and sort of mm. guided me down that path. And so after I'd been through the 12 steps, I can, I can very vividly remember a gentleman coming up to me and asked me if I would sponsor him, you know, and, and I was just fear stricken fear just washed over me, you know, and, and, uh, because if I screw up, this guy's going to use and die, right? Like we, yeah. we talk about how dangerous it is for for someone in a 12-step program to to relapse and slip back. And mm. and so, you know, so I'm like, oh, my God, like I got to do a perfect job. And That feels like a lot of pressure, yeah. A ton of pressure. And uh, the gentleman's name, so the gentleman, I don't think I said his name, his name was Marco Holt. And, and uh, he was he was the gentleman that took me took me into the program through the first first time and and um and so I went to him and I was like, you know, what do I do? And, you know, he gave me some, some things to read. So he suggested some things to read before I meet with the guy. And, and uh, but more importantly, he said, uh, now, whether this gentleman uses again 
or whether he stays sober has nothing to do with you. Hmm. He says that that's between him and his higher power. Um, you just you you get to be an instrument. Um, so you show up. It's important that you show up for this person and and meet them wherever they're at to try to to do this program of twelve step work. Um, but you don't go around chasing people. You don't go mm. ev- you know evangelizing. Um, I think we talked about it pre on a previous podcast. But this idea of attraction rather than promotion. Mm. 12-step groups try to, to stay in this, this lane of attracting people, you know, instead of, of promoting. Um, and that, that was a big re- – and I think it was a big relief in that scenario, but it's been a big relief moving forward that – so like on the fl- – so most I've, – I've been very blessed in the sense that I've gotten to sponsor a lot of people. Most of them are fucked up right now using – Whatever okay. their their whatever. thing of choice is, uh, there's a few that are still sober, mm. and that's I think that statement that Marco told me about if someone drinks or stays sober is between them and the higher power, because these these few that have stayed sober, I don't take credit for. Okay, I it, it had nothing to do with me, you know, and they have these really beautiful lives. Um, you know, a gentleman I know who lives on the East Coast, he's, he's, he just got engaged, you know, he's, he, he's gotten to do some, uh, some work in school things that were sort of, um, I don't know if, you know, I don't necessarily know if they were, I, I, I think it would be fair to say that they were dream jobs or dream situations, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and, and all of that stuff is because of the work that he did, you know, and, and, and I just got to be a, a tool of the divine. And I don't say that, you know, I, I say that kind of tongue in cheek because, you know, we kind of, when someone's being sort of a jerk, we call them a tool. Right. And so like, <laughs> as far as being a tool of the divine, I'm just, you know, it's just dumb luck that, that I was used, I see. you know, and, and really it's, it's between them and their higher power. And it, that, cause I could see myself if I had not been given that information early on, trying to take credit for someone's, for someone's wins, but then conveniently forgetting about anybody that had gone, you know, I wouldn't be taking the losses. I would just be taking credit for the wins. Mm -hmm. And so removing that from my, from my lexicon, right? Like, did did you have to learn that? Did you learn it the hard way or are you already, uh, I think so. Cause what about a codependent personality? Do you have that? (laughs) Is that such a thing in recovery for sure? Excuse me. Um, Yes. Yes. People. I have a little bit of a codependent personality, I think, but it manifests for me in romantic interactions more Mm -hmm. than any. You know, I don't feel like I have that in work environments, Mm -hmm. Um, maybe in family a little bit, but I, I feel like I've grown in that area. Um, friendships, I don't, I don't have that. Um, but there are definitely people that will, that have that, where that becomes a problem, where there, this codependent, um, situation will come up, uh, and it, it can really wreak havoc on people. Yeah, I can you know? see that. So what was your original question? Oh, did I learn that? Yeah. Yeah. How did you? Yeah. So, so I think for me, what 
I was humbled in the sense that, so Marco sort of get, set that foundation of like, hey man, like you're just here to be helpful. You're not, you're not the healer in the sense that you're not God. And is that a standard thing that a sponsor would tell? I, I try to, I try to tell as many people okay. that as possible. I don't, I, it's not like in the literature and I don't, you know, what okay. I mean? like, there's not necessarily like a class per se of like how to be a sponsor um, or a mentor or whatever. Um Codependence Anonymous, sir. Well, there is, but that's the thing. There is Codependence Anonymous. So some people that get sober and sort of find themselves in these some of these weird relationships, you know, I I, ha I mean, um, I haven't personally been to Codependence Anonymous. I've been to Al-Anon. Um, and I've also been to a, a group called Adult Children of Alcoholics. Mm. And both of those are told. And there's a Codependence Anonymous. There, uh, there's three okay. different things. They're... they're on a Venn diagram, most of the, you know, yeah, there's yeah. a lot of overlapping. So I was lucky in the sense that most of the people I sponsored early on ended up going back to their old behaviors. And so it was like, oh man, like people don't stick around, you know, which is heartbreaking. Mm. On a, It's a truth and it's heartbreaking, right? Like, I wish I could, you know, I wish there was some way to just give this away to every person that struggled with some kind of addiction. So then once somebody did stay sober for any length of time, let, let's, let's say a year, yeah. right? Like someone find, was someone that I, I got to take through the 12 steps, finally stayed sober for one full year. I had already taken the, in the sense of if I'm going to take credit for this person, I've already taken so many L's, so many losses with all oh, these other people. Okay. That it just like, well, it it clearly has nothing to do with you. I see. You know, and and so, I think it was just the logical side of my brain sort of interjecting. Um, but and I, I mean, I guess I can't I can't speak for Marco overall. But his relation his relationship with me did not feel very codependent. <laughs> so once again, I sort of. Um, unfortunately, Marco passed away when I had, uh, four years of sobriety. Um, hmm. so the first four years of my sobriety, my, basically my sort of infancy in the program, I sort of, I had, I was really blessed to have this sort of Northern light of yeah. what I would say a healthy sponsor would interact with people. And it wasn't just me, right? Like I saw he had other people that right, he was right. working with that, that I sort of, you know, got to know during the time. And, and so um, I was very blessed in that sense of, of be, having a good sponsor, mentor, role model like we're, this episode's about um, in that sense. Wow. Yeah, because I could, I could see that really wreaking havoc on, you know, the premise is you're, you have, you're living an unmanageable life, which means mm -hmm. there's chaos. Mm -hmm. So how do you as a sponsor keep that chaos from consuming you yeah you just you got there's there's a certain amount of boundaries that you have to to put up so you've had to verbally put up these boundaries with people or or do you lay them out at the beginning or both both you know i i um usually try to feel people out you know like uh maybe for the first meeting i'll, I'll buy them a cup of coffee or something like that mm -hmm. 
Um, and then we, if we get together a second time and they're like, oh, are you going to get that coffee for me? I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got to say no. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. I, you know, even when you, so know, you need people, to be comfortable saying no. Oh, for a hundred percent. And do you already have that kind of personality or did you have to learn that through discipline? I had to learn that. I had to learn that for sure. Um, but you know, like I, like I said, there, I, I had, I had good, you know, people will pull you aside as you go along and, and sort of give you some of these hints and indicate okay. it, it talks about it in, in the liter- the 12 step literature that, okay. you know, you're not, you're not here to get someone a job. You're not. You're okay. not a marriage counselor. Like you should be mindful of the family that has been affected by this, uh, this person's drinking and their interaction. But you know, you're that's not your resp- You can be helpful, but that's they're not your responsibility. That sounds like a tough one, though. Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, I've seen it cause some problems for people, and more of an in a general sense of people. Uh, maybe it's their first or second person they're sponsoring and the person drinks or uses again, um, or maybe just stops contacting them. Like maybe they're yeah. not even like engaging in whatever the behavior is. They just decided they don't want to talk to this person anymore and seeing people like take it real, real personal, you know? And, and, um, I, I you know, I can only really relay one time where I, uh, I was in Phoenix. That's where I got sober. And I was, le- I can't remember what I was leaving town for. And I think it was temporary. It's like, I was going to be gone a month or two. And this guy was like, Hey, I'm going to find a new, a new guy to work with while you're gone. And I don't know why I don't still to this day, it kind of baffles me because I was leaving. And Ooh. so probably the best thing for that guy to do was to find someone else. Right. But I still took that one very personally. And I, you know, I had a couple of years. I probably had two or three years sober at that point. Um, but I can remember for like half a day just being like, oh, well, yeah, fuck that guy anyways. I didn't, <laughs> didn't want to help that that particular person anyways, which isn't really how I felt. Right. I want to help. His, if anyone is willing to try to ask me for help, uh, they're probably in desperate situation if they're asking someone like me for help but mm. i'm open to it right like you know i tell them like hey you know if this doesn't work out it doesn't work out but I, I can i can try to be of assistance but that was the one time it really took me personal but like i said it probably lasted maybe two days mm. you know and then sort of the i saw it for what it was and the the guy was doing what was what he thought was best for his his program and his his walk on the 12 step right. path. And I, the number one thing I need to do is honor that in anybody, you know, it's, it's, and it, and that can be tricky too, because some people can leave, bounce around from 12 step programs and maybe you can judge them in your head or whatever. But really in my experience, really the number one thing, and this really expands out to any spiritual path whether it's Christianity or Buddhism or, uh, you know, whatever, we could list them all. If someone thinks that's what's best for their spiritual life, we need to honor that um, and support them in some way. And sometimes leaving someone alone is how you support them. Yeah, okay, yeah. Well, because there's, you know, you've everyone has heard someone say to them, uh, you know, I'm, I'm that friend you can call at 3 o'clock in the morning. And I've had to tell people I'm not that friend, mm-hmm. and I've had to learn to become comfortable with that. And so, how did you? Well, embody in, that they they 
As because as, as a pastor, yeah, I imagine expect, there's an expectation. Yeah, a pastor is expected to be an evangelist, expected to be a prophet, expected to be a teacher, an organizer, uh, the one that goes after the the leaves the ninety nine and goes after the one. Mm. But when he leaves the ninety nine, they uh, fire him or her. <laughs> and so it's it's an impossible okay game. I think any pastors that are, that are listening definitely un, understand that that mm-hmm. it's an impossible game. Uh, for me, I was, I got that phone call at three in the morning when I was 21 years or 22 years old. And they, you know, they told me, you know, my brother had, had been killed that night mm-hmm. uh, in a car accident. And so I don't need to get that call ever again. Anybody's call at three o'clock in the morning. Uh, it's, and, and so I've just had to tell people, I'm not, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I'm not that, I'm not that guy. I'm not that friend. Uh, forgive me, you know, yeah. and, you know, and so that's, that's, so how do you deal with that? Well, it's, I, I don't know if I've ever had this thought and it's probably, so I'm pretty familiar with the inner workings of churches mm-hmm. between my friendship with you. I have friendships with a couple other pastors and I've also worked at a couple churches as a, as a bookkeeper. Um, and, you know, one of my jobs, I literally sat right outside the pastor's door. My office was right next to the pastor's door. So I, I got to see that th- what you're talking about, people coming in, expecting all different roles right. from this this one gentleman. And so all that to being said is, is, I guess that's to go back to the beginning of our conversation. That's what's so, um, I don't even want to say revolutionary because that that's maybe overselling it, but because none of us are the leader or the pastor in the program, we're all patients, we're all sick and we're, we're all pastors and we're all trying to help each other out. The community does it, right? Right. And there's niches. So some people are more comfortable getting phone calls at three o'clock in the morning. Whereas some guys, um, you know, the, this region there and Phoenix too, there was a lot of retirees. Hmm. So there were guys that you knew you could call at 10 AM and they're not going to be distracted with, with, with work. work. Yeah. You know, they're going to be on a golf course or they're going to be, you know, yeah. lounging at the pool or what, you know, whatever. Lamping. <laughs> they're going to be lamping. Exactly. <laughs> and so they could pick up a phone call and have an hour and a half conversation with you okay. in the middle of the day, you know. Some people are very good at organizing stuff, you know, and so sometimes we have uh, conferences or get, you know, large get together, you know, in the olden days, pre-COVID, where a bunch of alcoholics would come together in some kind of maybe weekend event. Mm. And so there would be a group of people that that was that played to their strength, you know, and so they would they would commit a they would um, create a, a committee, so to speak, a temporary committee. To, to put put on that function um, there's some some people that feel really passionate about going into jails and prisons so there's a myriad of things yeah so you just sort of find your niche I see of, of ways to be of service so when, when I talked earlier about this umbrella of service yeah, work yeah. there's so many different niches and I think that's that's the what you're describing is that umbrella in Christianity is look that a lot of times, I'm not going to say right, all churches, yeah. the pastor is supposed to fill all those niches. Right. And you're going to kill a And they can't. They can't do it. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, even even in popular culture, when twelve step groups are are uh, shown on television and movies, there's always a, a key leader. There's always right? a, there's his always name is usually Gary. <laughs> there's always this leader of the of the meeting, and and he's usually depicted as like a sixty year old guy. Yeah, he's talking yeah. down to the <laughs> yeah or yeah or middle aged wise woman. Yeah. Uh, who has the answers to everything? Who also New goes by Gary kind of answers, for some you know. reason. Well, we're all connected. <laughs> she drives a Subaru. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so that sounds very different from what you're describing. And I've actually, I've actually thought about this. A, a good friend of mine, a really close friend of mine, has. He works in the the Hollywood business. He's a cameraman and mm. he's done movies and stuff. And so him and I and another one of my friends, uh, we've had this conversation about how poorly 12-step groups are um, depicted in popular culture. And th- this isn't their opinion. This, this is just mine. It's such a unique setup. And the only thing that I've seen that closely resembles it is, I would say, is a a, uh, a Quaker community. Hmm. The very, Quakers again. Yeah, once again, Here it we comes are. back full circle. I knew it would come back to them. <laughs> They're the real Illuminati, everybody. <laughs> they have it. the answers. <laughs> we must find them. You heard it here first. <laughs> oh, the Q and QAnon is Quaker. Oh, it was God. there all along. Anyways, um, and we're joking, people. This we yeah. don't. We're not. We're not here for QAnon. QAnon is fantasy. <laughs> Get help. So, because it's so it's so different than say a church setup or a business setup or even a nonprofit setup, that it's really hard. It would be hard. Unless you're doing an entire movie on a 12-step group, it's really it would be really hard to communicate that. Yeah. So if it's just like a plug-in to um, move the plot in a TV show or a movie, it's easier to have this wise person, you know, depicted as a wise yeah, person that, uh, running the meeting, the head of the circle. Because that's what we <laughs> that's what we expect in churches and in business, in yeah, yeah. rehab, um, I guess. And- yeah, and if you go to rehab, there's gonna, you know, there are gonna be people there. Some in of a charge pastor, and, it's yeah. a it's a therapist. Mm, so, yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. So, um, so I think that's why it's so poorly depicted, or or so, maybe not even poorly depicted, but just so drastically different than what what reality looks like in, in the in the groups. Very I, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I like that idea of uh, egalitarian. That's mm-hmm. that's that's pretty important. Yeah, and it's it's such a it's been such a, a huge part of my life that I, I I go back and forth in the sense of trying to replicate that in the religious space. And you and I have talked about this a right. little bit offline, and we don't have to go down that path per se today, but it, it's it's a tough model to take into the world because I think when we, as we've discussed on this podcast, the typical church setup is this consumer type right. of basis in general. Yeah. Right? We're talking yeah. a broad brush. 
and to try to open up something Jesus felt, gospel felt, which I, I feel like is the perfect, like the gospel and 12 steps overlay each other so beautifully. Hmm. But to try to set something up that's attraction yeah. rather than promotion, you're going to get for someone that doesn't really know, you know, someone that's coming in from the typical church world, they're like, well, no, we need to, uh, well, we were talking about it right before we turned on the mics about someone telling you like, you need to go out and teach to the people. Yeah. You yeah. can't, you know. Evangelize and. Right. You need to be, you have to have all the answers, you know, all of that. And I understand that perspective, but it's, it's. You know, it, it works in a certain context, and yeah, uh, it doesn't work in the context we're talking about today. I don't, I don't think. Would you say that might be the disconnect that many are seeing between the church and the culture? And, and I'm not saying any specific church. I'm just talking about Christianity yeah. in general. Um, so, oof. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I want to go down this path. Um, the church, you can point to any denomination. So I'm not, I'm not, yeah, yeah, I'm not, not I'm not, I'm, I just, but they haven't done themselves any, any, uh, any favors in the sense uh, of, you know, money laundering scandals or sexual scandals, right. right? And so I think people are smart enough. QAnon scandals. <laughs> That's a problem in the churches now, according I'm to not, the Atlantic. I'm not. I'm I read not, it. I'm not denying that. <laughs> I read it on the internet. But I've, I've, uh, my head's about exploded with all the QAnon stuff the last <laughs> six months. So, um, but yes, that would be an example as well. And at least from my generation, the millennial generation, uh, we've been sold this idea that science is the only way. Yeah. If you if you just okay. if you rely on if your whole life relies on science you're going to be fine, um, and I would argue capitalism even though people pretend like they don't like capitalism and and that they want socialism but that's most people don't truly want that when they yeah. when you start talking to them so this idea that that science and capitalism is going to save you save yeah. us yeah. that we've put a faith in those two things. But then when you're like, well, maybe we can put faith in this this other thing over here, whether you call it Christ or higher power or God, um, it's like you kind of get people to turn their nose up to you. Yeah. You know? And and I understand it because a lot of people have been harmed. Yeah. Growing up in certain churches. Yeah. So so I get I get the for sure better than idea of it. And so I think there's so many levels of disconnect. Mm. You know, that it's like it's hard. And that have been happening for a century, right? Yes. I mean, you would know that better than I would. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's, you know, been... I, I know I, I've I've had a, a discussion with a different pastor who said, oh, how did he word it? If there's certain things that aren't changed about the way the church goes about its business, so interacting with the community, you know, yeah. if, if we don't change this disconnect, I guess, is – what we're ta- you and I are talking about. Yeah. We're basically going to have a series of funerals and there's going to be one person left standing. And I mean funerals in the sense that people are just going to age out. Right. They're going to die of natural causes, right? Yeah. And eventually there's going to be uh, the ultim- ultimo hombre, 
as they say in No Country for Old Men, yep. you know, last man standing, last woman standing. They're gonna let lock up the door of the church and of that physical building. Yeah. And go, you know, and and so Well, I, they'll unlock it for the for the twelve uh, step group that's coming in, or or we'll just meet on the uh, lawn. Yeah, <laughs> if we they, can't, yeah, if we can't get, yeah, if we can't get in, we'll just sit on tailgates <laughs> and and on the lawn and 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 do it like that, you know. And and so, um, you know, it probably sounds self serving, but that you know that kind of going back to that original gospel scenery of Jesus sitting on on the side of the hill with the, yeah. with the disciples. It's like, well, yeah, we'll we'll sit on the side of the hill. And if Jesus doesn't show up for the meeting, we'll have a meeting without him. You know yeah. what I mean? Like we'll we'll still we'll still talk about this stuff, this healing stuff, this this feeding feeding our brothers and sisters, mm. um, you know, figuring out how we can reach more of our our uh, fellow people that are suffering and in, in uh, some form of addiction. Uh, you know, as as Rush, uh, I think it was Rush Limbaugh. No, it wasn't. It was the other guy. We'll do it live. F it. Well, F yeah. it. We'll do it live. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and so we'll just, you know, whatever. Um, I mean, even in Northeast El Paso, one time I showed up, there's a clubhouse there that does 12-step meetings. The door was locked. I didn't have the code. So me and another dude sat on the bench and read out read out of the book and had a conversation. Yeah. And I, I think one or two other people showed up during the time and we just sat in front of the building and, and did it like that. Well, I heard somebody, somebody told me once that it's a worldwide community mm-hmm. that's, it's everywhere. It's a, it's a universal community. And so if you're in a public space, like an airport and you're, you're wanting to take a drink and you're sweating and you're about to, to go to the, the bar that you went to so many times, uh, you can put a, an intercom uh, announcement out, right? Mm-hmm. Is that true, or is that just a myth? No, that's that's uh, that's true. Uh, someone will go over the intercom and say, "You and I don't know if I'm I'm allowed to say that. If I'm allowed to put the secret out, but are you guys, uh, yeah, you guys are a bunch of we, masons, right? Secret we, rituals. And- <laughs> <laughs> we say, uh, what do you say? Uh, if there are any friends of Bill Wilson in the airport, please meet. Gary, uh, again with Gary, right. <laughs> you know, in, in uh, section C3 of the airport, hmm. um, and people will show up, yeah, interesting. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I have a, a funny side story. So, someone I know that's close to me, she was at a party, she was at a wedding, it was a wedding reception, and someone came up and was like, Oh, and she, she was really well, no, she had some time. But for some reason, she didn't know the uh, jargon. And the guy comes up and says, so, so are you a friend of Bill Wilson's or Bill W? And she said, oh, no, no, no. I'm friends with with the the bride. She, I've known her. <laughs> I know her from around, you know, friends of the friend. And it wasn't like till six months later that she put it together. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. <laughs> um, did, I, did I share the story about the Irish cat? No, Have I don't I think shared so. that story? So – Kind of this idea of like the divine just working its magic. So when I was on uh, the Camino a few years ago, I walked up. Uh, I saw I saw some women that I had known or that I had crossed paths with on the, and I, I sat with them and we were talking. And this other gentleman walks up and and he starts speaking and he, he has an Irish accent. 
and I've shared this before, haven't I? I, we can I know edit we've it talked out. about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I think I've it was... shared it. Anyways, I'll do the short version and we can edit it. So he says uh, – he starts talking. He's from Ireland. I'm like, oh, I'm going to go to Ireland next month. Is there any way to have some fun there? And he, he <laughs> just like a crazy person, he's like, oh, you mean like hallucinogenic fun? And I was like, no. <laughs> he went straight there. <laughs> yeah, huh? he went to like the, the top rung of, of the progression. I was like – no, not really. I don't do anything like that. And he's like, oh, you're just like trying to drink. And I was like, no. And I and I hadn't had I hadn't gone to an A meeting in several weeks because all the ones that I could kind of come across were in Spanish. And I don't my Spanish is very weak. I know three words or something. And I was like, I was like, no, I was like, maybe more like some sober fun. And his eye, he was like, oh, oh. And he opens up his backpack and starts digging through. And he pull, we, get, we give out these medallions with your how many years you've been sober, so, you know, sometimes days or months. And he's like, oh, you mean like this? And I was like, I, I was like that's exactly what it was. It was his I mean. lucky coin. He was a leprechaun. And it was amazing because he had just had a rough night. He had hung out with some guys and they had gotten into some weird situation and uh, a bunch of alcohol and drugs ended up showing up. And so he mm. was really like in a, he was like sweating, like maybe I should go back down that path. Mm. And I got to hang out with the guy on and off for about three or four days, or maybe it was even a week. Um, and we got to support each other in that. So, so kind of going back to your original, like sometimes you don't even have to get on an intercom. And, and I know this right. sounds woo woo, you know, magic, but you know, I do believe that there's a divine power that sort of shifts, shoves me into the proper situation. Right. And, and, uh, and sometimes they just show up. Wow. Sometimes that friend of Bill W just shows up and you get to, you get to support each other. Um, when you think you're in, in a, a, a sobriety desert. Yeah. Yeah. And, and actually, uh, that's, you know, that the sobriety desert is a mirage. Yeah. Because yeah. there's there are people there to support you. That community just appears. So sometimes you it's have to be powerful. Yeah, you have to go out of your way and ask for help. And sometimes, like you're saying, it just appears. Wow. Pretty powerful. Yeah. It's 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 amazing. I mean, I mean we, we got to see an example of it just right before we walked in here as far as uh, how small the world is yeah, and how we can uh, interconnected. Yeah. And, uh, and how our path, we don't know why our paths cross when they do. Uh, and sometimes that's the most, the most beautiful thing is you might never know. And maybe 10 years from now, it's like, Oh, that's why uh, I met that person. That's yeah. Why, yeah. That's why I spent that day with that person. So, um, yeah, we're co we're coming up close. I don't. Are, are there any other thoughts or questions that you feel are sort of hanging out there with this idea of mentorship? No, I think that's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and one of the things for anyone out there that's uh, either coming from this discussion strictly from the Christian point of view, or strictly from the the recovery point of view. Uh, that's one of the things David and I have discussed in general is uh, how do we meld those two? Because hmm. uh, David obviously comes with the deep Christian theological, uh, practical side of church and theology and the gospel. And I'm coming from the opposite side, hmm. the recovery world. And, and so if there's anything out there that 
maybe this conversation um, brought up for you on either side of the coin. Because uh, like I said earlier, I really do feel that the the gospel and the 12-step overlay each other yeah. in a beautiful way. And, and I think you've expressed that. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty intriguing. Yeah, so um, so if there's anything specific you'd like us to explore where we can sort of bring those two paradigms to a topic or to a subject, uh, we would love to hear hear about that. Um, you can reach me at, uh, I don't know what the best one would be, djmason83 at gmail.com. Uh, you can go on theruin.com. Um, and I, I, is there a way? There's a way to leave information there, right? Yeah, yeah. The comments you can contact and such. Us, yeah, yeah. And so uh, we we would love to hear from anyone that's listening. Uh, we have we have had a couple people reach out with topic ideas, so we do appreciate those that have already reached out. Um, but yeah, theruin.com, drcrpod.com. If you're enjoying what you hear, tell a friend, please. Uh, we appreciate that. And uh, do you have any anything else we need? Mm-hmm. I forgot. Just much appreciation for those listening. Yeah, much love. Thank you. Much gratitude. Thank you all. And uh, that's a wrap.